You are listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Hello and welcome to the Varmints Podcast, where we do a whole bunch of research to educate ourselves and you, the listener, on all things that creep, crawl, slither, fly, jump, hop, and swim on this planet, one animal at a time. My name is Paul, and I am not an animal expert. I am Donna, and I am also not an animal expert. This week on the podcast, we are going to talk about cobras. <laughs> It's our first snack episode. Our first snack. Mm-hmm. But first, the news. This is Varman's Headline News with your anchorman, some guy named Paul. Thank you, Matthew. So the next time you complain about your job, maybe somebody cooked fish in the microwave, maybe somebody won't <laughs> stop singing or complaining or saying annoying things, well, it could be Worse, you could be working at a construction workers' camp in Thailand where they caught three huge king cobras. Rescue volunteers together with municipality officers were called out to the camp after being notified that a king cobra was spotted hiding near a washing machine. Oh, dude. Yeah. A team of eight equipped volunteers and officers searched the area and found the snake hiding in the grass They managed to catch the snake, which was almost five meters in length, which is somewhere around 18 feet. Oh, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Using some snare poles and some nets, as the team prepared to take the snake into a a jungle, a nearby jungle to release it, they spotted another king cobra in the grass. That snake was smaller, and it was caught and measured almost three meters. So, little guy, maybe 10 feet. Oh, gosh, yeah. That one's (laughs) small. Yeah. (laughs) Both snakes were safely placed in sacks and released in a jungle far away from the camp. (laughs) Which I'm sure the workers insisted on. Get that thing as far away from our camp as possible. (laughs) Preferably move it to another island. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, good news, bad news. Just two days before that, another five meter long king cobra was caught at the camp after workers reported spotting two king cobras there. Hmm. And they caught that one, but the other one managed to escape. Oh, dear. (laughs) So, yeah, my problems at work don't seem so huge now. Oh, dear. (laughs) It's like, what, you get a job at this place. Oh, yeah, we got pretty good benefits. Great working conditions. Gotta look out for the cobras, though. Huh? What? What'd you say? (laughs) What? You said something about cobras? Oh, uh, yeah, we sometimes get some king cobras. You know, no big deal. You know, yeah. Animal rescue will come and get them and take them out. And we- what? 
Wait, wait a minute. Just what? <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, where are you going? I, I didn't tell you about the free washing machine facilities. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we don't have childcare for obvious reasons. Yeah, we have a washing machine. Come on. <laughs> Where are you going? I think I'd quit. I think I would just go ahead and quit. I I think I'd be done. I'd be like, yeah. well. <laughs> just a reminder, go to blazingcariboustudios.com, everybody, for links to our audio and our show notes for today's episode. We are also on Twitter. And Instagram at at Varmints Podcast, all one word. And we're at Varmints Podcast at gmail.com for questions, comments, stories, and suggestions. I run a Pinterest board for each animal, and the link to that is in the show notes at the bottom of the page. And if you put Varmints into the search engine at tpublic.com, you'll get all kinds of wonderful merchandise with our awesome logo by Imran Javed on it. And we want to thank our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much, guys. Our thank Patreon you. supporters kick in a few bucks every month, and that money gets put right back into the show and uh, hosting fees and merch and all kinds of good stuff. So if you want to be a Patreon supporter, go to patreon.com varmints, and you can find out the details there. So yeah, thanks, Patreon supporters. You should remember to always check the show notes because Paul the Easter Bunny plants Easter eggs in there a yes. lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Yep, you could win t-shirts. Mm-hmm. So look at the show notes. Do it. <laughs> Let's talk about cobras. Let's do it. Have you ever wondered about animals? What do they look like? Where do they live? Why are some of their legs also hands? Well, we have. So it's time to learn about animals. <laughs> well, our animal this week has neither legs nor hands. In over 100 episodes, the cobra is the first snake we've ever talked about. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. We didn't know how we were going to talk about snakes for quite a while, but I think we've got it figured out. We're going to talk about the kind of snake, and uh, depending on how many, you know, species there are of that particular type, then we'll talk about it. And there happen to be quite a few cobras. Yes. Yeah. So cobra is the name given to reptiles in the family Elapidae. True cobras, such as the spitting cobra and the Egyptian cobra, belong to the genus Naja, but there are several other snakes and other genera that are also called cobras, like the king cobra. It's by itself. Yep, it's all by itself. It's in a a genus all by itself. You know why? Why? Because it ate all of the other members of that genus, and I'm just (laughs) convinced. Because they are the snake-eating cobra. Well, other cobras might eat snakes, but king cobras definitely do. Yeah. Mm The main difference is in the genera is the size and shape of the cobra's hood. So if it's called a cobra, we're going to talk about it in this episode, and we're not going to get too bogged down in what's a true cobra and what isn't. Yeah, there are other hooded snakes, which makes it even more confusing. But Right. Basically, if it looks like a cobra, it's a cobra. Right? Yeah. There, there, there are other hooded snakes, that, but their, their shape is slightly different. So. Cobras, the kind of cobras we're talking about, are found in most of Africa and South Asia. All cobras are venomous, and uh, I guess now is as good a time as any to play the jingle. We did, and you do it. 
Ooh, I don't feel too well. I'm feeling strange in the jungle. Ooh, I don't feel too well. What could it be? Could it be an animal? If it bit you on the leg, then it's venomous. If you ate it for lunch, then it's poisonous. If it bit you on the leg, then it's venomous. If you ate it for lunch, then it's poisonous. Well, it bit me, so I put it back. Call an ambulance, I've got a heart attack. <laughs> the smallest species of cobra is the Mozambique spitting cobra, which is about four feet or just a little over one meters long, which is big enough. The largest snake in the world is the king cobra, which we mentioned in the news. That is the largest venomous snake in the whole world, and it can reach 18 feet or five and a half meters long, which is terrifying. It is completely terrifying. I had no idea they got that big. Uh, I didn't either until I was studying. <laughs> oh my gosh. Ah! <laughs> I'm not even particularly skeeved out by snakes, but these guys were like, oh my gosh, this is a scary snake. <laughs> they're, they're frightening. Yeah. There are no special names for male or female cobras. They're just called cobras. Even a female king cobra is still a king cobra. They're not called queens. Yep, and the babies are not called cobralettes or something. No, nothing cute. They're just called cobras, too. Mm -hmm. Do you know what a group of cobras is called? They're called... Ah! <laughs> yeah, no. Why? That's what, it, that's what it's called. They're called a quiver. Oh, yes. But I like your I like your version better. <laughs> it's more realistic. Uh, uh, they should be called a shudder. <laughs> <laughs> the word cobra is surprisingly not of African or Asian origin. The Latin word for snake is colubra. And then the Portuguese word for the snake is cobra de capello, which literally means snake with a hood and then mm -hmm. we've just shortened that to cobra and they are creepy and a little later on we'll talk about maybe a little bit about why they're creepy on a maybe uh deep level How maybe about that? yeah yeah you're gonna talk about that yep and i'm just gonna continue be surprisingly skeeved out which <laughs> i really didn't think a snake could make me go oh but uh yeah these guys have definitely hit the nature Oh, nature, take a Valium. Oh my yeah. gosh. Calm oh. down. <laughs> There's this interesting article I found about the hood that cobras have. And basically, what the hood is for is so that they look bigger to everyone in situations where they're feeling threatened or they want to be threatening, right? It makes them look much bigger than they actually are. So that's why the hood goes whoosh, they're like, bah! It, it's a, used as a defensive display, and I would argue also an offensive display. That's the impression that I got anyway. But I, I wanted to find out how the hood works, and basically what has happened with the cobra is that they have co-opted a few ribs in that area, and they have evolved over millions of years to become the structure internal structure of this hood okay but and people have known that for a really long time but what they wanted to know was the way in which the ribs are freed up to rotate into the presentation position and they wanted to be able to understand 
how the muscles were able to accomplish that and then to return to a relaxed position. So researchers from Washington State University in the United States did some study on this. So what they found is that just eight muscles are involved in the hooding and that they are the muscles that are also present in non-hooding snakes. It's an example of evolution remodeling things as species emerge, right? So they've just taken the same ribs and muscles that are in other snakes and just repurposed them. Just, okay, we're just going to put this over here. Wow. Yeah, I just thought that was pretty interesting. They actually discovered which little muscles are actually doing the signaling to get this hood to Mm -hmm. blow up. And 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 yeah, it's the same stuff as all snakes have. It's just purpose differently. (laughs) That's that's really neat. Yeah. I did try to find out if the markings that are on the back of some cobras, like the spectacled cobra, has that little Kilroy was here symbol on the back of its head. (laughs) (laughs) I did try to find out if markings like that have any use at all, and I was not able to find anything that talked about the markings on the back at all, other than to just state that they're there. Like, oh, there's this marking on the back of their head. Yeah, I know, but what's it for? Well, here it is. It's a pattern. Yeah, I can see that. (laughs) So I'm not sure what I was doing wrong, but I wasn't able to find the answer. So I'm going to speculate. I'm going to speculate that that marking on that species in particular probably ends up confusing species that might be predators of that snake to go. Is that the front or is that the back? (laughs) So... I think that might be what it's for, but I could be completely incorrect. If you know, varmintspodcasts at gmail.com or join our discussion group and slap down a fact. We want to know. So let's talk about, you're going to talk about spitting cobras. Yes. Patang. Patang. So cobras and other snakes normally bite to defend themselves and to envenomate their prey. But eight African and ten Asiatic species are known as spitting cobras, and they have always fascinated me. Spitting cobra's venom is mostly cytotoxic, which means that it attacks and kills cells. Cells affected by cytotoxin will lose membrane integrity, they will actively stop growing and dividing, and they would just die. Just as a little side note, chemotherapy treatments for cancer patients rely on cytotoxic agents to kill or damage rapidly dividing cancer cells. Yes. A cobra's cytotoxin is relatively harmless when it hits intact skin. However, when it gets in your eyes, it can cause profuse eye watering, severe swelling, and even permanent blindness. And that is exactly where a spitting cobra will aim. Oh dear. A research student at the University of Bonn in Germany demonstrated that the red Mozambique and the black-necked spitting cobras will deliberately aim for the eyes of whomever or whatever they feel threatened by. So this student used four of each snake in her experiments. She either stood face-to-face with them protected by a plastic visor, I hope so, or she used still photographs of faces. And then she used a high-speed video camera to record the spitting process. The first thing that she found out was that these snakes only spit at moving faces. So that movement lets the snakes leave the target a little bit to compensate for the time it takes for their muscles to send them venom flying. Wow. Hand movements got no response from any of the snakes. Only two of the cobras reacted to still photos of the faces. 
The snakes hit one or both eyes at varying distances with incredible accuracy. The Mozambique snakes hit the target every single time, 100%. Nice. The black-necked cobras, 8 out of 10 times. Still pretty good. Pretty good. Spitting cobras have a specially modified fang that has a small little hole in it. Oh, wow. When it is threatened, the... When it is threatened, the snake will squeeze a small amount of venom through that specialized fang at high pressure. That venom bounces off the bottom of the inside of the fang and then back up through the hole. Oh, so it's getting some speed. Yes. It's like a pressurization. Like it just turned the shower onto full pressure. Exactly. And it and it's also like spraying up and out so that if you're even if you're a lot taller than the snake is it can aim right for your eyes and hit your eyes Ah. (laughs) (laughs) because their prey is much smaller spitting is for defensive purposes only i was gonna ask yep they do not use this venom to incapacitate and eat things oh wow depending on the size and type of the snake the velocity of the spat venom is equivalent to that of a water pistol And it can travel anywhere from four to eight feet. So if a spitting cobra spits at you, you are not going to dodge it. No. And it's a very, very deeply instinctive response. A professor at the University of Bonn that studies spitting cobras said that one baby cobra that had just poked its head out of the egg spit at him. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Spitting cobras have always fascinated me. This little baby just poke his head out. Do-do-do-do-do. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) Disclaimer time! The Vomits Podcast knows it's not fair to compare animal intelligence to human intelligence. But then, Donna and Paul only have the yardstick of themselves. So, they're going to do it anyway. All right, so you watched a documentary about animal intelligence. Yes, so I did. I watched this awesome documentary. The University of Arizona College of Science has a bunch of lecture series every year, and there's always a theme. This year's theme was certainty. Can we have certainty? So there's like 14 or 15 different lectures about being certain in science and how uncertainty is actually a very powerful motivator for scientists and how laymen, just regular non-scientist people like us, need to get used to being uncertain about things because it kind of helps us understand science better. So that's sort of the theme of the whole thing. And the lecture series that I watched was, or the lecture I watched was called Can Intelligence Be Measured? And this is just intelligence in general by Professor Anna Dornhouse, who is at the College of Science at the U of A, and she is in the Department of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology. She is massively published and super successful and very, very, very experienced in this area. Okay. And it was an interesting lecture, and I'll try to just break it down into a very short summary. But I encourage you, I'll put the link in the show notes, and you guys, I encourage you to go and watch. It is probably about 45 minutes long, so, you know, you need to cut out some time for it. But it's really interesting. So essentially... The question of can intelligence be measured is sort of a yes and no, right? So what are we talking about with intelligence? That's the question that we ask on this show all the time, and that's the question that she sort of intended to talk about in this one. 
So we think that there is a little guy or lady inside of our brain driving us around, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody has the feeling that there's a self, a little person, inside of our brain going, oh, well, let's go over here, and I want some ice cream, and whatever. <laughs> and but that's not how it works at all. How intelligence works is it is what is called an emergent quality. It's the neurons in your brain. All the neurons in your brain have different little pieces of information, and they all come together and give you the thought, I would like to have ice cream. It's not that there's an ice cream center in your brain. It's just that there's many different neurons, and some of the neurons are talking with your stomach and your whole central nervous system and your stomach. There's gut bacteria that are talking to your central nervous system all the time and stuff, and those some of those neurons are like, whoa, the stomach is hungry, and then some of the neurons will say, whoa, we're getting signals that there might be some need for some glucose and whatever, whatever's going on in there. But essentially they all come together by their millions and make the thought for you, I would like some ice cream. (laughs) And there's been lots and lots and lots and lots of research behind this. We know that we make decisions, our brain makes decisions something like three seconds before we consciously realize that we've made a decision. So it is an emergent property. What does this mean about animal intelligence? Well, animals that have similar brains to ours have similar intelligence, okay? Mm -hmm. It's just that their intelligence may not be the type that is called upon to do certain jobs. Like a cobra doesn't have to fix a car. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it doesn't need that. So it's not, it doesn't, it's never presented with a problem like that. Intelligence rises to the level of the problem, not the other way around. Okay. But then what I thought was really interesting was, you know, how we talked about ants on our show about how ants individually are kind of morons, <laughs> but as a group, they're freaking brilliant. Right. It's not one individual ant having a thought. It's all of the ants together are technically, I guess, would be having a thought. It's an emergent property. Okay. So that's how intelligence works. But there's still so much uncertainty about what intelligence is, what it's used for. I mean, it's very difficult to tell in some cases, but I think that a lot of people will probably be made to feel surprised and maybe a little uncomfortable at how similar all animals are to us. There used to be a test called the mirror test. Have you heard of this? Yes. It's the test in psychology to mark when you have self-awareness. Right. When you put a little dot on the head of a human toddler, they can recognize it and start peeling it off of their face and going, oh, that's me at about 18 months. Okay. Which is pretty early. And that's a sign of pretty high intelligence, right? Or so we thought. There are other animals that have done this. I think chimpanzees have passed the test. But everybody thought that this bar of self-awareness was like just huge pie thing. And that they didn't expect animals to be able to even approach this. And now it's been claimed in several species of animals and you can find the list online there's a list even in wikipedia i think yeah and i think just a few months ago they found a fish that was able to do the mirror test yeah and they didn't think cats could do it but i don't know if you've seen the video of the kitten that sees her ear tip in the mirror and goes what's that so she raises her body up higher so she can see and then she's pawing at her own ear in the mirror like oh that's my ear that's my ear we don't know Is she recognizing herself? It sure looks like it. So the question, one of the questions she asked in this 
documentary, which I thought was really interesting and we we'll, might never ever know the answer. Does like a cobra have in its mind, does it feel like there's a little cobra driving it around on the inside of its head? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either, but it's just something to think about. Now, Paul had asked me when we talked about this, if this is going to change the way we do our intelligence rating. And because our rating is so arbitrary, I'm not sure that it affects it at all. I think the only thing it changes for me is to realize that intelligence is one thing. It's a thing. And it emerges in the absolute same way. The research seems to be supporting. It is an emergent property. And it that goes for everything that's an animal, right? Right. So... This study is so counterintuitive, you know, everything mm -hmm. about intelligence is so counterintuitive that it's <laughs> really, really difficult to sort of take it all on board, I think. Right. So, extremely unsettling questions, but I like that kind of thing. So yeah. Definitely go look at the show notes and, and go watch the lecture. It's very yeah. cool. Well, we are going to talk about Cobras and pop culture and a couple other interesting facts, but we're going to do that right after this. Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast. It's a podcast. Just for the hell of it. Fry it in a basket or broiled in a pan. Eat it raw like you're in Siam. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast. It's a podcast. <laughs> You've heard others, but nothing could prepare you for the shameful stupidity that is the Jock and Nerd Podcast. Here, Imran. So if you offend everyone at once, it all it's a wash. I've covered everybody. Anthony. Sorry, I was texting. Say that again. And Rug Boy. Yeah, whenever there's a snowstorm, my slack hole tightens up. As they talk over one another. Just exactly uh, the same Connor as was the Terminator. We're talking over each other. It's fine. Sorry. Swear. I had boobies. And ask you for money. Just give us the money. The Jock and Nerd Podcast. It can't be silly, goofy fun. Uh. Jock and Nerd. Hey there everyone, Paul and Don are a couple of nerds just like you, and they don't get to see animals up close and in person very often. So let's talk about where we all see them most of the time, on movies, TV, comic books, toys and video games. So my pop culture pick for this week is Cobra Commander. Cobra Commander is a fictional character from the G.I. Joe, a real American hero series of toys, comic books, TV, and movies. He is the main enemy of the Joes. Cobra Commander is described as a fanatical leader who rules with an iron fist and demands total loyalty. His objective is total control of the entire world. <laughs> Cobra Commander was first released as a comic book villain and a mail-in action figure in 1982. Since then, he's appeared all over the place in video games, toys, TV, and movies. In the first season of the original 1980s G.I. Joe, a real American hero animated series, Cobra Commander is the leader of Cobra, which is described as a ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world according to the theme song. He concocts creative schemes for world domination, including cloned dinosaurs, giant amoebas, 
miniaturized troops hidden in Christmas presents and using a super laser to carve a picture of his face on the moon. I think I remember that episode. <laughs> he was voiced by a guy called Chris Latta, who had a very, very distinctive, screeching, shrill voice, and is just completely over the top. So here's a clip from the original series where you can hear his work. Uh, uh, what is happening? He has disobeyed me! The civilians are deserting! That's right, landlubbers! Go home! Where... where are we? Flint, you're back! What is going on here? <laughs> Somebody must be interfering with the subliminal transmissions! Who is that fool on the TV? I am not making a broadcast! As I thought, the subliminal message has been altered! Observe. I don't know. He must have blown out his vocal cords every time he did that voice. <laughs> he had to. Good I wonder Lord. if he was ever a singer for like a metal band in the 80s. Oh, man. <laughs> when you think of Cobra Commander on that 1980s animated series, as you just heard, you probably think of a psychotic madman given to commanding large forces and screaming speeches to his minions. And that probably reminds you of like a dictator like Adolf Hitler. In fact... The show's writers revealed recently that they thought of him more as Yosemite San than Adolf Hitler. <laughs> and it makes sense if you think about it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Co Cobra Commander talked tough and had a lot of dangerous weapons, but always lost very badly. Yeah. The commander would also have a lot of crazy schemes like carving his face in the moon with a laser. <laughs> but most importantly, like Yosemite Sam, who was always trying to kill Bugs Bunny... Cobra Commander was dedicated to killing the Joe, but failed every single time. <laughs> yeah. I love that. That show. <laughs> I mean, explosions didn't hurt anybody. Remember? Oh, yeah. Something would blow up and there'd be like parachutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everybody always survived. <laughs> not only did everybody always survived, they did not have a mark on them. No. They never got hurt. <laughs> no. Oh, what a show. There's lots of reasons to watch that cartoon, and they're all hilarious. <laughs> all right, well, I'm going to talk about a cartoon as well. That's sort of not really my wheelhouse because I, as you know, have never seen The Lion King. We're going to talk about, for a reason, we're going to talk about The Lion God today. How this relates to cobras. There is an antagonist in the Lion Guard cartoon who is a cobra. The Lion Guard was an American animated television series, and it was based on The Lion King. The series was broadcast with a television movie <clears throat> titled The Lion God Return of the Roar on the Disney Channel in 2015 and began airing as a TV series in 2016 on Disney Junior and the Disney Channel. It is the second television series to be based on The Lion King. The first was Timon and Pumbaa. 
The Lion Guard is the sequel to The Lion King, and it takes place during the time gap within the 1998 film The Lion King 2, Simba's Pride. The second season premiered on July 7th of 2017, and there is a third season that was commissioned in March of couple of years ago so that's probably airing too i don't don't really know <laughs> so here's the plot for those of you that understand the lion king which i don't so i'm just gonna tell you what it says so keon is the son of king simba and queen nala the younger brother of kiara and the prince of the pride lands as the second born of the lion king he is gifted with a power called the role of the elders and becomes the leader of the lion guard which is a team of animals who protect the Pride Lands and defend the circle of life. Keon, along with his buddies, Bunga the honey badger, Beshti the hippopotamus, Fuli the cheetah, and Ono the egret, set out to keep the Pride Lands safe and protect from animals who do not respect the circle of life. Lots of people from the Lion King actually came back to voice characters. Mufasa is voiced by James Earl Jones. He reprises his role from The Lion King in a like a spirit form. Oh, wow. Yep. And as does Scar, Simba's deceased uncle. The thing that happened was that by the end of The Rise of Scar, an episode of this series, Keon unintentionally summons Scar back as a fiery spirit in the Outlands volcano after he uses the roar in anger. <laughs> when Janja provokes him, Scar begins to then form plans to take over the Pride Lands and rule it forever. <laughs> so, the supporting cast, lots of good guys, but I won't talk about those guys. I'll talk about the antagonist, Ushari, who is a cobra. He is an Egyptian cobra who used to live in the Pride Lands, and he would get disturbed whenever the Lion Guard was near him. And he is voiced by Christian Slater. Oh, Let's go wow. ahead and listen to this little bit that I recorded for us. Your spies have done well, Ushari. This is Scar this is very Spirit. good news indeed. Crocodiles detest the dry season, and they won't easily forgive Simba's son and his lion guard for waking them. It could give us an opportunity. Yes, that's what I thought too. Have your skinks keep an eye on the situation. Tell me immediately if anything changes. You heard that? Yes, sir. The Lion Guard's mistake could prove most fortuitous for us. Perhaps it will even lead to the end of Simba's reign. And then we reptiles will rule the Pride Lands. Ah, under your leadership, of course, right, Scar? <laughs> <laughs> of course, Ushari. Of course. <laughs> so I have no idea how many episodes Ushari is in, but he is a cobra. Yep. He's in pop culture, and he's voiced by Christian Slater, and he's adorable. So now I might have to watch all of the things <laughs> just so I can watch that. Totally cool, and you can definitely see these guys all on Disney, various things, and I'm sure there's DVDs, they're all over YouTube, there's all sorts of stuff you can you can do, so go check it out. Cool. Ushari the Cobra. <laughs> Mummy, 
What's for dinner? It's the elbow of a snake. <laughs> Mummy, I can't eat that. Well, would you eat that? <laughs> would you eat the elbow of a cobra? No. Heck no. I didn't look up to see if people actually ate cobra meat. I don't think they do. I don't know I if don't they do. Know. I don't know. I know that they hunt them for their skins, and that's why quite a few species are endangered. Get oh, together, I didn't humans. know that. Yeah. Uh, the king cobra in particular is fairly sought after. I imagine because it's so big, it's probably, that's probably why they want it. Yeah. If you're going to make stuff out of snack skin, it's probably pretty convenient if the snack is kind of big. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't know if I'd... I wouldn't eat the endangered ones. No. I've had snake before, and it's it's just fine, so I wouldn't... I don't know. Venomous snakes bite themselves a lot, so... <laughs> you know? That's a good point. What, yeah. are, wait, what are venomous snakes doing biting themselves? Well, they miss, you know? <laughs> and they, they bite themselves. I don't know what the rate of biting yourself is among <laughs> cobras that we're talking about, but I know rattlesnakes bite themselves all the time. So. Oh. Well, that's my impression. I could be completely... I bet it might be one of those things that I'm completely wrong about, but I have the impression that they bite themselves a lot, so... <laughs> Me. I don't even know where I got that from. <laughs> I don't either. It's fine. Might be right, might not be. Let us know! Varmint's podcast <laughs> at gmail.com <laughs> Well, hello, Paul. Don, it's me, Billy Lee Campbell. Oh, hey, Billy. I bet he eats. And I'm here to ask you a question. Is your brain a repository of useless information like mine is? Well, let's help you win that next trivia night or just sound smarter than the rest of the room with the Animal Fact of the Week. Back to you, Paul and Donna. Oh, Billy. How do you not love Billy? I don't know. Well, the Animal Fact of the Week that I've picked is not specifically about cobras, it's actually about people and their fear of snakes and spiders. <laughs> so in the Varmus discussion group on Facebook, we occasionally, or other members of the group, we, we occasionally post pictures of spiders and snakes, and we get a lot of one-word responses. Nope. And that word, yep, that's nope. Yep. <laughs> so you listening right now, you might be one of the 5% of the population that has a very strong inhibiting fear of spiders and snakes. So was that fear something that you learned, or is it something that we're born with? A group of researchers from Germany and Sweden decided to find out by testing a segment of the population that is least likely to show fear, and that segment is babies. Yeah. So 48 six-month-old infants were tested to see how they reacted to images that the researchers thought could be frightening. Right. So while they were sitting on their parents' laps, all happy and safe and secure... The babies were shown images of spiders and snakes on white backgrounds for five seconds. The parents were given opaque sunglasses that prevented them from seeing whatever image was shown to their babies. The babies were also shown control images of flowers and fish. Hmm. Flowers and fish were chosen for comparison because they can be relatively easy matched in terms of low-level visual properties with spiders and snakes. Each item in both sets had a corresponding color-matched item from the other category. Mm -hmm. And we'll post the picture in the show notes so that you can see for yourself that an orange spider could probably look quite a lot like an orange flower, and a 
green fish could look quite a lot like a green snake. And I've showed you the, uh, the picture right. earlier today in the show notes. Yep, yep. When the babies saw pictures of spiders and snakes, they consistently reacted with larger pupils than when they were shown control images of flowers and fish. This suggested that a fear of these animals could be instinct. Dilated pupils are associated with activity in a system of the brain that processes stress. Measuring changes in pupil size has been used in other studies to determine a variety of mental and emotional stress in adults. So the next time someone asks you why you are afraid of spiders and snakes and you really don't know why, because I'm a human might be a totally acceptable answer. Yeah, because evolution, that's why. Crazy. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yes. Well, I have something interesting. We have This is our first snake that we've talked about, so I decided I would talk about something that lots of reptiles have. I don't know if all of them have it, but the forked tongue. Snakes have forked tongues. And what the heck is that for? So there are various phrases that we all know, like, oh, you're speaking with a forked tongue, and that, that means that you are duplicitous or, you know, hiding something. But it turns out that a forked tongue actually tells more truth than less, and it is not an organ of duplicity. It is not for lying or pretending in any way. What it does is gives the animal, the snake, and some lizards, a stereo sense of smell. What? Dun, dun, dun. What? Yeah. Wow. That's absolutely right. So when it's sensing the environment, the two, two tips are better than one. Each tip of the fork tastes molecules in the air, and when the snake or lizard pulls the tongue back into its mouth, each tip rests next to a small sensory organ that detects the odor-producing chemicals. Lizards appear to use this information to hunt prey, but they think that snakes use it to find a mate. Hmm. So, yeah, well, they might use it to catch prey as well, but they also use it to uh, find a mate. Adult male snakes use the forked tongue to zero in on the pheromones that are produced by female snakes. And the male snake can judge from the intensity of the smells on each fork which direction the prospective partner went. So he can be like, hmm, the left fork is not quite as strong. The right fork is, oh, she went this way. Go that way. <laughs> so it, it gives him information like whether the trail that he's smelling was made by a female of his own species and if he's if she's ready to mate and so basically a whiff is telling the male snake whether he would be wasting his time or not to pursue this female and it can get information every single time it does an individual tongue flick so it's like the scientists that did the research on this suggest that snakes may have developed this capability because finding other snakes in the wild is not easy. <laughs> right. They tend to gather together in dens for the winter, but in the summer they disperse over a really wide area. Lizards tend to live in groups, and so they don't need the forked tongue for this particular function to help them find mates. Snakes do, though, because they are solitary hunters. I think it's interesting that they seek each other out with chemical stuff, and they use their little tongue. That's super interesting. Where did you go, guys? So yes, it is. Uh, the forked tongue is a truth, a truth organ, not a lying organ. 
cool. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah. So if you're speaking with a forked tongue, it means you're getting way more information than you would normally. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for listening. This show has been brought to you with technical support by Matthew Chomo. Bed music by Kevin McLeod. Our logo was created by Imran Javed. Our vocal talent today was Carrie McGinnis, Chris Brayton, Josh Hallmark, Chris Green, Jennifer Chomo, Stacey and Frosty, and Justine and Santiago. Brisky Cawthon is our Cobra Venom milker this week, and she does a great job. Excellent. And now it's time for the Rugrat Corner. If you have a rug rat who is eight years of age or younger that wants to be on our podcast, send us a message on Facebook or email us at varmintspodcast at gmail.com for details. We make it super easy for your Rugrat to hear their voice on our podcast. And this week, who are we going to hear from? We're going to hear from Dex. Dex has something to say about Cobras. Excellent. Hello, Dexter. Hi. Tell me all about Cobras. Well, Cobras are cold-blooded because they live in the desert. It's like a snake. Uh, It's like it has no legs. And it has some venom in it. They're as big. Uh, I don't know how big are they, but I I know that they're huge. Oh yeah. Mm. Yes. yes. They're big. Uh, they eat meat because that's why they have venom to eat meat. Venom like makes you get sick and. You go to hospital, so you shouldn't suck the venom. Like try to suck the venom. Like if it's not in your head, you s- and it's in your arm. Try to suck it, get you even more sick. Oh, that is good die. advice. Yeah. Uh, what would you What would you say to a snake if you met him? <laughs> what do you think the snake would say back to you? <laughs> Yeah. What, what would those what is what do those hisses mean? Hello there. Hello <laughs> to you too. <laughs> That's snake talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Thanks, Dex. That's snake talk. I love it. <laughs> and you heard Dex's dad in there, Brandon Cruz. He is one of the hosts of Trivia Geeks Live. They have just rebooted that podcast on the Blazing Caribou Studios Network, and it is a very not-safe-for-work or safe-for-kids podcast, but it is funny, and you will enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time. Be nice to animals. Even snakes. Even cobras. That would pretty much mostly mean staying away yeah. from them. Yeah. To, yeah. They'll spit on you. Yeah. <laughs> You've been listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash blazingcariboustudios.